Go ahead and have a seat, please. Where are my extroverts out there? This is your day. Where are my introverts? I'm sorry. We love you, but it is great to see everybody's names today. So something we're doing today, and it'll come into play a little bit, uh, a little bit later in our time together. Before we dive into the Word, would you, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning. And we begin asking very simply, would you help us to see you, Jesus, more clearly? Give us eyes to see you. Give us eyes to see beyond ourselves, beyond our community, and to see your church. And Father, today we join with other churches as we pray for the persecuted church. We think of our brothers and sisters in Christ who the very act of coming together to worship, to sing, to read your word puts their lives in in grave danger. We pray for those in Afghanistan and North Korea and Somalia and Libya and Nigeria and all the places in the world where our brothers and sisters are at such risk. Would you strengthen them today? Would you encourage them today? Would you help them to understand that they are not alone? And Father, as we enter into this week, as we look at the upcoming elections, as we look out at our world that seems so divided and there's so much to be discouraged about, Lord, we pray today for those who are seeking office of all types, whether it's our local school boards or the highest levels of national government. Lord, would your hand be at work in this process? Would your hand guide, first of all, those who claim to know you, to follow you, would you draw them nearer to you? Would you guide their decisions? Would you encourage them? And would you guide all of our elected officials to seek you, to seek the welfare of our community? Lord, would you help us as your ambassadors, as those whose identity is in Christ, to represent you well. Lord, we come in humility, asking you to move in our nation, in our state, in our community, in our church, and in our own hearts. And Father, now as we enter into your word, pray that my words are clear that they're helpful, that they bring you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our guide, be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There's also the staff chili cook-off this Tuesday. 
I didn't pray for that because I don't need your prayers because I am the defending champ. Clay has already given fighting words. I'll be up all night searching recipes. If you have a secret family recipe, now I'm, just let me know. Just let me know. You can email me. I'm open to suggestions, but I will be victorious again. This is not a message about pride, so. Uh, <clears throat> Seriously, though, let me ask you a question this morning. What is the gap between who you are and what you do? What is that gap? What is that gap between what you, what I, what we claim to believe and the way we actually represent that to the world around us? What is that gap for you? What is the gap between your identity as a follower of Jesus and your everyday life? What is that gap? It's so easy to look out in the world and see church leaders who have fallen, public officials have fallen. It's so easy to see the gaps on the outside. I would invite us this morning to look at the gaps that we have on the inside of us. So what's your gap? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's self-centeredness. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. Whatever that gap may be, I believe we all have a gap that we can address this morning. And I believe Jesus has some fundamental words that are so helpful to us today. These words are so helpful. And I want them to be helpful to you this morning. We've been in a series where we've been focusing on John 14 through 16. And the the title of our series is, I Give You My Word. We've been focusing on the very promises that Jesus has given to his disciples before he goes to the cross. They're afraid, they're scared, they have troubled hearts. And he's going to give them lots of assurances. He said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's a a promise that's entailed in all of that. We talked last week about having access to God in prayer where Jesus says, "If if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. Amazing promises. And also the challenge to have our hearts aligned. This morning we're going to look at the promise of belonging of belonging, of our identity. I want to give you the bottom line up front, and it's simply this. Who you are in Christ fuels what you do for Christ. Who you are in Christ fuels what you do for Christ. The argument I want to make this morning through God's Word is this, that this is the order we need to do things in. If we flip it, if what we do comes before who we are, and if we're dependent upon what we do for Christ to fuel who we are in Christ, 
we will always come up short because we don't have the resources. But God does. So let's dig in. Let me take you to John chapter 14. Verse 15. I want to walk you through this passage and then I want to give you some concrete help here. John 14, 15. Again, Jesus is addressing his disciples. He says this, if you love me, keep my commands. Now the you is addressed to you all. It is a group of people. It is a group of disciples. So much of the time when we read God's word, we, we, we tend to make it so individual. And yes, it is for me. Yes, it is for But it is for us. If you love me, keep my commands. And right away, Jesus identifies a connection between love and obedience. Those two are always going to be joined together. Jesus' command, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Luke 10, 27. 1 John 4, 19, this is John. He'll write a letter later letter, and he'll say, we love because God first loved us. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit, capital S, of truth. So we are given the promise of the Holy Spirit, our advocate, our helper, and it carries with us this, this connotation of one who will plead our case, one who will speak to us. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. What a promise. There's something about that experience of having the Spirit in us and with us that is difficult to translate into our words sometimes. It's not an experience against reason, but it is beyond reason sometimes. He says this in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now picture the scene, the disciples, Young guys here, they're, they're afraid. They see Jesus leaving, all the things that Jesus is telling them about what's coming as a threat. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. What a promise. I will come to you. Now, Let's look at this for a minute. When will Jesus come to them? He will die. He will die on the cross. He will, he will rise from the dead. The tomb will be empty. 
And we get that glorious scene of the resurrection where Mary Magdalene and the other women are the first to see, and then, then uh, Peter and John have this foot race to the empty tomb. And John, the writer of the gospel, makes it clear. He said, I won the race. I got there first. But oh, the glorious resurrection. On that day. So his disciples then will come to this realization. He will come to them. Verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There's the resurrection. The tomb was historically empty. This is objectively true. It really happened. At the same time, it is true for you, true for me, true for all of those who follow Jesus, that there is an experience, there is a a subjective experience in my heart, in your heart, in our hearts, that we can have a life with God. Again, both objectively true historically, whether you believe that or not, it happened. And there's the subjective personal experience that we are all invited into. The disciples have this moment of of realization. Let me ask you this morning, have you had that moment of realization where you say here and you say here, this is really true. It really happened. He really died and he really rose. And he's really given us the Holy Spirit. We can have an actual relationship with the God of the universe. Have you had that moment of realization? If you haven't, my prayer is that today is that day. Doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out, but but there's there's a moment in time where you say, this is true. This is true. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And that starts my journey. Doesn't mean I have to have everything figured out. Doesn't mean I have to have everything cleaned up. But you and I are all invited to have that moment, that realization that this is true. So I pray that if you haven't had that moment, that you have that moment today. Let's continue. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. There is a reciprocity of love here. That's how it is supposed to work. And then there's a question from the floor. Verse 22, then Judas, I love the parentheses here, not Judas Iscariot. He's gone off. He's going to betray Jesus. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
simply want to bring this up this morning. Does Jesus allow our questions? Of course he does. Of course he does. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I've got questions. Keep asking. If you're a parent and you have kids that are asking really hard questions, let them keep asking. Keep having dialogue. Keep having conversations. You have friends who have questions. Allow them to ask. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who loves me will obey. The love, the obedience, connected. We will come to them and make our home with them. What a beautiful picture. On the other hand, verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Here's the gap. Here's the obedience gap. Jesus identifies it as a failure to love. So do you have a pattern this morning that you bring into this place? Of anger, of self-centeredness, of lust, of unloving speech, of greed, unfaithfulness, whatever that is, we're invited this morning to, to expose that gap to God. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus says this, all that, I have, all that I have spoken while still with you, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's a sense here in which the disciples will hear these words of Jesus. Jesus will die, Jesus will rise, Jesus will ascend, the church will start, they'll write these things down, the Holy Spirit will inspire them to write the Gospels will inspire Paul, will inspire people, all the, to, to write the New Testament. So there is a reminding that the Holy Spirit will do to the Gospel writers. And I believe there's also a reminding that the Holy Spirit does for us. We all forget. Sometimes we choose to forget. Verse 28, you heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. The evil one. They will nail Jesus to the cross. He has no hold over me. Sin and death will have no hold over Jesus. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So these are the words of Jesus. These are the promises that he's going to lay out for us. 
Now, I want to come back to that gap this morning and want to take a few minutes to help us with that. I've been following Jesus a long time. I've learned a lot about the words of Jesus and the truths of Jesus. But sometimes actually applying them can be difficult. So how do we do that this morning? Again, our our bottom line is who you are in Christ fuels what you do for Christ. What role does the Holy Spirit play? Very specifically, the Holy Spirit teaches us that we belong to Christ and each other. We belong to Christ and to each other. Let me give you a couple passages just to support that idea. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, if you've been around Community Church for a minute, you've heard this passage before. We've sung about it. We don't have to be slaves. We are the child of God. That is a glorious truth that we have here and we can say it. But my friends, how do we actually live in response to that truth? It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that guides us that illuminates that truth that we may not yet believe, know, or experience. That's what the Spirit does. So if I'm a child of God, if you are a child of God, what does that make us? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that is not a generic designation. Sometimes, hey, brother, hey, you know, it, this is a very specific. We are brothers in Christ. We are sisters in Christ. There's an objective reality of the cross and the resurrection and a, a moment in time when we've put our faith and our trust in Christ, and that gives us that identity. That's who we are. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 4, for just as each of us has one body, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. One of the challenges of our own time is we live in a very individualistic world. It's about me and Jesus. It is about you and Jesus, but it's also about us together in Christ. We belong to one another. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit also empowers us to live for Christ. 
Galatians 5.16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the Christian life. That's a following, walking by the Spirit. Not just on Sunday morning, not just in my small group, not just when I come to a class, but that's a daily walk that we're invited into. So what, is this, what does this look like? I, I love the way Paul says in his letter, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, he says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This promise that you are a child of God, the Spirit helps us understand that. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's what we have through the Spirit. We have a different way of seeing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a different way of seeing. That's what we're invited into. Now, let me illustrate this for just a moment. Let's go back to that gap, whatever your gap is. You don't have to shout it out loud. We're just making you wear a name tag. You don't have to publicly confess your sin today. That's next week. <clears throat> How to grow the church, public confession. But I uh, was invited by a friend to, uh, to go on an early morning hike. The hike started at 4.44 in the morning. For, so for some reason I said yes, and it was one of those things where a bunch of guys get together and there's like a time of prayer and a little devotion, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. I'll, I, won't, I won't throw out my pastor card right away so I can just, you know, just sit and hear what's going on. But uh, we go to this little gathering, and, and the guy that was sharing didn't know him, but he had a brutally honest confession about his gap. He said, guys, I've got a real anger problem. He said, I asked my wife to, to clean out the van and all that, and, and she didn't, and it was like full of trash, and he said, I just went off on my wife and my kids. It was really, he said it was really embarrassing. And he shared that. He said, you know, I, I, I've, he said, I've shared this with my wife, and he, I'm working on it, and he shared it with the guys. And, and my first thought was, I mean, if I'm really honest, I'm like, wow, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you yelled at your wife over your van? Actually, it wasn't a van. It was a really nice car. I'm projecting my own van into the story. Because <laughs> if it were me, here's why it wasn't a big deal to me. I don't really care about my vehicles. They're a mess. That's not my issue. Anger over cars is not my issue. I got my own issues. I don't have time to discuss all those. But I heard that, and I heard that. I'm like, well, wow, I, he's in bad shape. I'm glad I'm not that guy. 
What was that about uh, who you are and what you do? But as this guy, it was a beautiful confession, and and he was was sharing all this, and I'm, I'm thinking, what were the other options? What were the other options for him? If he had led with what I do for Christ determines who I am in Christ, he would always be less than. Because he would be in an endless pattern of shame, of guilt. <sighs> I blew it again. Am I even a follower of Jesus? Or, I've got the victory now. Look at me. But no, no, no. Humble confession. Guys, this, I'm going to lay it all out on the table. This is what I've done. Now, you can really only do that if you understand that you belong. <laughs> and that you're in Christ and a bunch of strangers who follow Jesus, but we're not really strangers. And it was amazing how in that initial, then other guys said, well, yeah, me too, and me too, you know, and, and just a beautiful picture. But I just bring that to you as just a, a simple, concrete example of in our own walk with Jesus, led by the Spirit who guides us in all truth, reminding us who we are, that we belong, We belong to Christ, and we belong to each other. So whatever that gap is for you today, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to start with what you do. You don't have to get on the hamster wheel of performance that always leads in guilt and shame. Start with who you are and allow the Spirit himself to change you and connect you. And that, my friends, is where the real transformation is. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your words. We thank you that they're true. We thank you that they're objectively true, that Jesus, you really died, you really rose, you really spoke these words Your followers really wrote them down, and we can believe them, and we can experience true life with you. So wherever we are this morning, Holy Spirit, do the work in us today. Remind us who we are so that we can then share that love with those around us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.